Praise the Lord, Bridgeway. It's good to have you here and good for me to be in your homes or in your cell phones, wherever you are today. You know, as the children were being dedicated, it reminds me that everything we do is not only for this generation, but for the generations to come. Let me say congratulations to you parents whose children were dedicated to the Lord today. I'm gonna to talk about this generation and the generations to come and give you some comments about what I believe God is saying to our nation. I'll talk about that just for a moment. And then I wanna inform you about uh, where we are with regard to uh, the goal of reaching $500,000. You'll remember last week, uh, we not only reached the $500,000, we actually reached $600,000. And you know, I'll just tell you right now, and then we don't have to worry about it later. And that is this, uh, this week, as of this week, we've raised six hundred and ninety. That's almost $700,000, $200,000 over our goal. Who would have known except God? And so let me just say thank you once again uh, for those of you who continue to give uh, to the renovation and the future fitting of our church so that we can make a difference for the Lord and advance the gospel, not only in this generation, but for generations to come. Toward the end of my message, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts about what I believe God's saying to our nation. But today's sermon is about signs and wonders. I'm starting a two-week series called, What About? What about signs and wonders? Next week, what about miracles? And so let's talk about signs and wonders after I open in a word of prayer, and then we'll talk about what God might be doing in our nation as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you that you are large and in charge and you get the final word. We'll continue to put our faith in you as we study your word. Change our hearts and our lives and feed us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We serve a God who gives us signs and wonders, but he does that so that we can seek him and follow his will. God gives us signs and wonders so we can seek him and follow his will. Have you ever seen God's signs and wonders in your life? You may be driving down a road and you see a, a sign. What is it there for except to tell you which way to go, to point you in the right direction? Sometimes you're in the middle of trying to make a very, very difficult decision about a relationship, a friendship, maybe about a, a, a purchase or a job, and you're saying, God, would you just give me a sign? Have you ever asked God that? Well, God is in the signs and wonders business. God has not stopped being God. He hasn't somehow, because of a different dispensation, said, you know what, I'm just not going to give signs and wonders. God has always revealed himself and confirmed his word through signs and through wonders. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. In fact, that phrase, signs and wonders, is used 31 times in the Bible starts in the Old Testament and primarily used in the Old Testament, but it starts with Exodus chapter 7, where God says to Moses that he is supposed to go and free the Israelite people from, from Pharaoh. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus 7, look at verses 3 and 4 and listen to what it says. 
but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I will multiply my miraculous signs and wonders, there it is for the first time, in Egypt, verse four, he will not listen to you. Moses, I want you to go and tell him to let my people go. And even though I'm gonna do signs and wonders, he's not gonna listen to you because his heart's gonna be hard. Now, if you'll go back to Exodus chapter four, verse 21, we see half of the phrase. It says, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Now, God hardening someone's heart is a sermon in and of itself, or we hardening our own hearts is a sermon uh, in and of itself. But what I want you to see in Exodus chapter 7 and in Exodus chapter 4 is the phrase signs and wonders in 7 and wonders in 4. So this is something that God was normally doing, but God said something interesting to Moses. He tells Moses in Exodus 4.21, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. In other words, God was using Moses to do the signs or to do the wonders. And so I think this is important to understand because sometimes we want God to do something that he's equipped us to do. He's like, I want you to perform the wonders I gave you the power to do. Sometimes we're like, God, I can't do what you've called me to do. And God is like, not only can you do it, I equipped you to do it. Now, I don't want to spook anyone out and make them think, well, now I got to go do some wonders. I'm not asking you to perform wonders. I'm asking you to recognize that God has empowered us to do things in the natural realm that he has already ordained in the spiritual realm. And when we take hold of it, we can perform things that we didn't even realize we had the ability to do if we would only believe that God can use us. That may be a word for someone who's wondering, well, uh, does God want to use me? The answer is not only does he want to use you, he's equipped you to be used by him. Well, if I continue on, uh, we can find that Moses did exactly what God had told him to do. The question is, will you? It still throws us off a little bit because we're wondering about these signs and wonders that God does on the earth and how are we supposed to think about them theologically. Like, should I be asking God to do miracles and do signs and wonders? Well, I'm going to talk about healing miracles next week, but I'm going to teach you today that signs and wonders are not something of the past and not something necessarily that we need to study to the degree that we focus on the sign and one, the signs and the wonders of God more than God himself, but I do want to put it into a theological construct. In fact, let me read one quote for you, which comes from John Piper. This is what he says. It's a little dense, but listen to it. I quote, this is utterly crucial. Signs and wonders are God's witness to his word. They are not in competition with his word. They are not against the word. They are not over the word. They are divine witnesses to the value and truth and necessity and centrality of the word. Signs and wonders are not the saving word of grace. They are God's secondary testimony to the word of his grace. Signs and wonders do not save. They are not the power of God unto salvation. What Piper, this pastor and author, is, is trying to say 
is that signs and wonders are a secondary witness, meaning that God's word comes first. Signs and wonders are there to be a witness to God's word, to be a confirmation, if you will, to God's word. They confirm the word of God. So if you see signs and wonders, but yet they don't confirm the word of God or they contradict the word of God, then those signs and wonders are not from God. It may be magical, it may come from the uh, spirit of darkness in our world, but if it doesn't confirm God's word, if it contradicts the word of God, then we can say that those signs and wonders are from the world of evil, no matter how good they look to you. I like what Hebrews chapter four, verses three through four say. Listen, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Verse four says, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Notice it says the Lord was confirmed to us. The Lord has confirmed to us. What does that mean? It means that the Lord uses signs and wonders to confirm his word. So what do we know? We know that God's signs and wonders come to give us direction. Like if you see a sign on the road, which way do you go? God's signs and wonders secondly confirm God's word, which means that if you read God's word, if it's confirmed by a sign or a wonder, then you can go forward with it. If the word of God is spoken to you and then it's confirmed by a sign and a wonder, then you know that you can go forth. But there's a third reason why God gives us signs and wonders, not only to give us direction and to confirm his word, but third and finally to increase our inner peace, to increase our inner peace. We find this in Judges chapter six. So I'm gonna ask you to turn to the book of Judges with me. And in chapter six, we're gonna see the story of Gideon who asked God for a sign. And we're gonna find out that the sign that God gives him really gives him peace in his heart. Sometimes what God will do is he'll give you a sign or he'll do a miraculous wonder just to let you know that he's there and that you're gonna be okay. And it increases the peace in your heart. Now go with me to Judges chapter six and we'll pick it up right around verse three. This is what it says, Judges six, and we'll pick it up verses three through six. So understand that Gideon was a mighty man, a warrior. Gideon was a prophet. Uh, Gideon was a judge. And it says, I'll pick it up at verse one. Again, the Israelites did evil in uh, the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountains, clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other Eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock 
in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land and ravaged it. They invaded the land to ravage it. Verse six, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, I want you to notice that the Midianites were oppressing the Israelites. And it says in the text that everything that the Israelites planted or produced was ravaged by their enemy, the Midianites. You see, one of the first strategies of oppression that comes from the evil one is to attack your increase, to attack the very work that you have been doing. You plant, but it doesn't grow. You have crops, but they get destroyed. Whatever you try to prosper, the enemy comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. This is a strategy of oppression. All you have worked for is producing nothing. An impoverishment of the Israelites was the strategy of oppression by the Midianites. And so they cried out to the Lord. But remember in verses 1 and 2, the Lord made it happen. He allowed it to happen. He allowed his people to be chastised by another people under their power because of their disobedience. Now, this is not a word you necessarily want to hear, but when the Israelites cried out to God for mercy, God gave them a prophet. In other words, God gave them a word. The way you get out of an oppressive situation is by asking God to show up and to give you a word. You see, you can live on a word. And they wanted to get out of this oppression while the enemy was trying to steal, kill, and destroy. God answers the prayers of the Israelites by giving them a word, by giving them a prophet. Some of you, what you need more than anything else, you think you need your bills paid? No, you need a word from God to give you wisdom so you won't have to worry about paying bills the way you're worrying about it right now. You see, it's by the word of God that we live, that we move, that we breathe. When we begin to act in faith on God's word, it activates the movement of God in our life. And that wisdom gives us ideas that allows us to make more money than we've ever made before, to have better relationships than we've ever had before, to have greater health than we've ever had before. When you take God at his word and then you step out on faith and actually lean and trust on that word, God then blesses you and multiplies you. But if you continue to rebel against God. You don't give to God. You don't worship God. You don't praise God. You're on the throne of your own life. You find yourself being oppressed and impoverished by another people. And you're wondering, Lord, how do we get out of this? And God says, well, first you need to pray to me, repent. And then God gives them a word. And from that point on, what the Israelites do is they have to listen to the word of the prophet. Who's the prophet? His name's Gideon. And it says in verse 7, when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them the prophet Gideon, basically. Now, here's the deal. Gideon now is having a conversation with God of how in the world we're going to even save the Israelite people. 
And let's pick it up at verse 11. Well, even in verse 9, it says, I snatched you from the power. Well, you know what? Let's pick it up in verse 7, because now we're going to hear what happens after they cry out to the Lord. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. What did the prophet say? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So he gives them a prophet who gives them a word that says, hey, listen, I took you out of the power of Egypt. I snatched you out of the oppression that you were in before. And now you're under the power of Midian because you have disobeyed me. God is sending the prophet, but the prophet is telling them, you've not listened to God. And this is why you're going through what you're going through. But notice what happens in verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Azbizrite. You can never pronounce these words. It sounds like a sprite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Remember, the Midianites were destroying every crop that they had. So here he is pressing wheat in a wine press and the Lord shows up. It says in verse 13, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever asked God that? In verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then Gideon says, but if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening to us? You ever ask God that? God, if you're with me, then why are you allowing all this to happen to me? Well, God responds to him. And God says, oh, this is interesting because Gideon not only says, why is this happening? But then he's like, Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. What Gideon is saying is, God, you've abandoned us, but what about all those wonders that we heard about back in the day? God is saying, I've not been showing you wonders and I've not been showing you signs because you've not been obeying me. You may say, God, give me a sign. God, show me my wonders. And God may be saying to you, obey what I've already told you. Do what I've already asked of you. And so Gideon's like, why? Why, God, have you abandoned us? But God goes on to say, Midian, you're the guy. In verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in the family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianite families together. His point is, listen, God, you don't want me. I'm the weakest of, uh, our clan is the weakest of all, and I'm the least in my family. Do you know that God 
loves to work through the weakest and through the least. That's why he called Midian. Midian was a mighty warrior. By the time you get to verse 17, after you hear in verse 12, the Lord is with you. After you hear in verse 16, God says, I will be with you. You get to verse 17, and what does Gideon ask for? Gideon asked for a sign. Check out verse 17. This is what it says. Gideon actually asks for a sign. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. That is really you talking to me. Gideon's saying, look, Lord, okay, I'll go and save them, but could you just give me a sign and let them, let me know that it's really you talking to me? And so guess what? God was able to be very, uh, let's call it, uh, gracious with Gideon. And he did give him a sign. Now you can read the rest of the passage, but it says in verses 22 through 24, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Because it was said, if you see God face to face, you would die. Verse 24, so Gideon built an altar there and called it, listen, the Lord is In other words, when Gideon received the prophet's word, when Gideon received the word from the angel of the Lord, which we think was the pre-incarnate Christ, or maybe it was the angel, uh, Michael, one of the message angels, we're not quite sure. But at one point it was revealed that this is really the Lord speaking to you. Once he understood that, he built an altar and he named it the Lord is peace. Because one of the reasons why God gives signs and wonders is to increase our peace, to give us direction, to give us confirmation of his word, and to increase our inner peace. And before Gideon could go out to do what he was called to do to save the Israelites, he needed peace in his heart. Now, let me just give you some practical applications because as we think about signs and wonders, we might be thinking in our own life, should I be looking for signs and looking for wonders? There's a story in 1 Kings that talks about Elijah who was supposed to hear the voice of the Lord. It says that there was a lot of wind blowing and an earthquake and a fire, and yet Elijah was not able to hear God's voice until everything settled and there was a gentle whisper. And Elijah was able to hear the voice of the Lord through a gentle whisper. I tell you this because I think what happens is sometimes we're looking for the big signs, the big wonders, the the earth, wind, and fire, if you will. And what God is saying is if you'll just settle down for a moment, maybe the sign will be my gentle whisper in your spirit. In fact, someone was saying when there's an earthquake and when there's a windstorm and when there's fire, all those things create a lack of peace in our life. But yet when he gives us that gentle whisper that settles and calms our spirit, what am I saying? I'm saying whether it's Gideon in Judges or whether it's Elijah in Kings or whether it's Moses in Exodus, God is in the business of giving signs and wonders. He's in the business of speaking to us if we will only listen. But what signs and wonders is God doing in your life? For some of you, you'll remember a time when God showed up in your life and you said, that's a sign from God for direction 
or you see a miracle or a wonder of God, a wonderful work of God in your life, you say, wow, that's a wonderful work that only God could have done. Well, let me give you a few practical applications that will help you as you think about signs and wonders. Number one, don't seek the wonders of God. Seek the God who is wonderful. Don't seek the wonders of God. Seek the God who is wonderful. In Isaiah 9, 6, he's called the wonderful counselor. You see, the sign is not the destination. The sign is there to give us direction. I have a friend who's saying they were going to Disney World and they saw these signs saying Disney World, Disney World. When they got there and they saw the sign for Disney World, they didn't bow down before the sign and just sit there. They actually went into the park and experienced it. The sign is not the destination. It points you toward the experience that God wants you to have. So when God gives you a sign, when God gives you a miracle, you don't sit there and worship the sign and worship the miracle. No, you know what you do? You have the experience with God to go where he's asked you to go. So that's the first application, but let me give you the second one. I first said, don't seek the wonders of God, but seek the one who is wonderful, the wonderful God himself. But secondly, don't focus on the signs. Follow them. Don't focus on the signs. Follow them. When you see a sign from God, that means he's telling you to go this direction. Follow the signs that God puts in front of you. If it confirms God's word, if it measures up with what God has spoken in the scriptures or what God has spoken through a prophet, if that is the case, then by faith, follow and see what happens. Let me give you a third and final application, and that's this. Don't test God, trust God. Don't test God, trust God. Now, if you read further in Judges chapter six, and I won't take the time to do it, but you'll find out before Gideon does what God calls him to do, guess what? He wants to test God. And so he does the fleece test. Have you ever heard of this story? We put some fleece down on the floor, like a fleece material on the ground. And he says, God, if what you're saying is real, if this is really you, God, then what I'm asking you to do is make the fleece uh, wet and all the rest of the ground make it dry. So in the morning, if there's a dry ground and dew is only on the fleece, then I'll know that, God, you are talking to me. And so the next morning, he wakes up. And guess what? The fleece material has dew on it and the ground around it is completely dry. You think that'd be enough for Gideon, but no, Gideon's like, Lord, don't be angry. Can I test you just one more time? Tomorrow, if you can make the fleece dry, but make the rest of the ground wet, then I'll know it's you. So sure enough, the next morning, guess what happened? You got it. The next morning, the whole ground was wet with dew, but the fleece was dry. He knew it was the Lord and he obeyed the Lord from that point on. But here's the question. Should we put out a fleece for God? Should we say, God, perform for me? I think that Gideon uh, really shouldn't have done that, but God was gracious to him. 
And I think that what happens is we try to test God and God has told us not to test him except in one thing. And that's in Malachi. We can test him with regard to tithes and offerings. And he says he will indeed bless you beyond measure with overflow when you plant seed in the storehouse of God. But other than that, we're not told to test God. So why is he testing God? Because he's not believing God. And what I'm saying is don't test God. Trust God. Jesus says, you wicked people, you're always asking for a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Moses. Uh, It's the sign of Jonah, which means uh, that he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What Jesus is trying to say is, I am going to I am going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again from the dead three days and three nights. The only sign that you ought to be looking at is the sign of the cross. So we shouldn't be looking around, God, give me a sign, give me a sign. We should, now listen, if you want to say, God, I need your direction, I need your wisdom, according to James 1.5, yes. If we recognize the wonders of God around us, then, and it points us to praise, yes. But don't use a fleece test as a smoke screen not to do God's will. That's what Gideon was doing. God, here's a test, and then he performs. God, here's a test, and then he performs. Gideon was using that to get out of doing what he was called to do. Don't use testing God as a smokescreen not to do God's will. Trust God and do it anyway. Here's a sort of fun fact you might want to know, and that is this. They were dealing with the gods of Baal, and the daughter of Baal's name was Talia, T-A-L-I-A. And Talia, the daughter of the god Baal, was known in the uh, Near East world at the time as the god of dew, D-E-W. Talia was the god of dew. I think what Gideon was doing was trying to say, God, are you greater than these other gods? In fact, the Hebrew word for dew is tal, T-A-L. And so when you think about it, are you greater than the God of do? Why are you trying to pit your God against their gods, Gideon? It's because you don't trust that your God is stronger. He says, go in the strength that you have. Yeah, you may be the least and you may be the weakest, but God is saying, I am going to perform through you to do my will. And I don't want to sit around and do little tricks for you. I am the God of God gods. And and Baal is nothing. And Talia is nothing. But if this is going to help you, I'll do it. That was nothing but God's grace. So friends, how do we wrap this up? We wrap it up by saying, yes, we serve a God who does signs and wonders. We don't ask him to perform them for us as a smoke screen to get away from doing his will. But we actually recognize when we see the move of God in our life. And sometimes the greatest sign is a gentle whisper after all of the hoopla is done. And the number one sign that God has for us is the cross. And even though he rose again from the dead, people still try to come up with other tests because that sign's not good enough for them. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, you evil generation, you keep asking for a sign. I'm doing one right before you. I'm gonna die and rise again. And there will still be people who won't believe. Well, if you don't believe, maybe this is the moment where you say, I'm going to stop the smoke screens. And God, I'm going to invite you into my heart right now. And in this moment, maybe you just pray and you say, dear Jesus, thank you for this message being assigned to me. Thank you for the wonders of new life that comes when you forgive me for my sins.
Save me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for the greatest sign and wonder of all, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, you can just uh, write, fill me, text it, fill me, F-I-L-L-M-E, and uh, somebody will follow up with you. We want you to grow in your faith. Now, I said at the beginning that I wanted to give you a sense of what I believe God is saying to our nation. This has been an incredible week in the nation's capital. The reality is this. The prince of the power of the air is moving throughout our nation. And there's a great division between not just the political figures, but right now between Christians who are Americans who are trying to figure out how do we live in a multicultural society. But the scripture tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that our struggle is against spiritual powers of darkness and principalities. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing an evil we're seeing a principality. We're seeing the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, manifesting himself throughout our nation. You see, if you sow wind, you're going to reap a whirlwind. And what we're reaping right now is a whirlwind of division. And so I believe that God is calling us back to our theme. You've got the bracelet? Call us. Let us get it to you. Focus. Followers of Christ united in the spirit not followers of Donald Trump united for a Republican platform, not followers of the Democrats or Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. We respect all those that are in governing authority over us. But friends, see the contradiction that has happened in our country. Christian evangelicals will say, submit to the governing authorities except when they wanna climb and scale and, and be quiet uh, when there is these kinds of protests that are going on. Uh, Christian evangelicals want to say, submit to the government, and, and, and this is God's man. Listen, I'm an independent. I don't really care what party you're a part of. But the only thing I do care about is that if you're a part of God's Christian family, then the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control against which there is no law. And so we must give our whole allegiance, not to the flag, but to the Lord. And the violence that takes place and the division that takes place, I speak in the name of Jesus, needs to end now. And if you're going to be a gracist, then sign the gracism creed and begin to live out what racial healing looks like in our country. And you have to pray and rebuke the evil that is before you. If you know folk who are acting a fool in the streets, whether it's Seattle or Minnesota or, or whether it's Washington, D.C., we as believers are not called to violence and not called to act a fool. Doesn't mean you can't rebuke the things that are wrong. Doesn't mean you can't stand up and say what is wrong. I need you to speak to what is wrong. And what is wrong is putting people in a situation where the whole country feels like an insurrection is taking place because of the current president who is stoking fears. What am I asking? I guess I'm asking you to let's have some grace with one another. 
when it comes to this whole social system of America and this whole social experience. Let's be gracious, gracist, who stand with one another, but we do it in a way where we rebuke that which is evil and we also lift up that which is good. And that's what I'm thinking about our nation these days. And I'm reminding you of our theme. We are followers of Christ united in the spirit.